I'm a park ranger in a remote area of the woods where few people come to visit. My days are usually filled with monitoring the wildlife and ensuring that the campers follow the rules. One day, a woman and her daughter came to fish in the river that runs through the woods. Later in the day, the woman's daughter came running towards me, telling me that she had found huge four-toed tracks near the riverbank. I was curious but skeptical, as bear tracks are commonly found in these woods. However, the other fishermen who had gathered around to listen to her were nodding their heads in agreement, saying they had never seen tracks like that before. I decided to investigate the tracks for myself, and the young girl eagerly led me back to the spot. Sure enough, there were tracks that were larger than any bear tracks I had ever seen, and had four toes instead of the usual five. As I examined the tracks more closely, I noticed that they were imprinted deep into the ground, and the claw marks were clear. My mind raced as I tried to think of what animal could have made these tracks. As I was looking at the tracks, I heard rustling in the nearby bushes. I quickly grabbed my binoculars and focused them on the spot, and to my surprise, I saw a large creature moving through the brush. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before it was huge, covered in dark fur, and had four legs but moved in a way that was unlike any bear or other animal I had ever seen. I knew that the woman and her daughter had to be warned of the possible danger, so I quickly made my way back to their campsite. I informed them of what I had seen and urged them to leave immediately. They quickly packed their things and left with a newfound sense of urgency. After they had left, I went back to the spot where I had seen the creature. I searched the area but there was no sign of it. However, the tracks were still there, and they confirmed that something large and unknown had been there. As I made my way back to the ranger station, I couldn't help but wonder what other secrets lay hidden in these woods, waiting to be discovered. The experience had left me both excited and fearful of what else might be out there. This happened when I was 15, near Algonquin Park. My father and I were driving up to our cottage in the middle of winter. I always was so amazed at the beauty of Algonquin Park in Muskoka, and had grown up enjoying the beauty of it every summer. Our cottage was on a large lake, about a 30-minute drive from the nearest town. There were probably thousands of cottages on the lake. During the summer, the lake and the town's population tripled. It was cottage country, so people would spend all summer enjoying the lake in warm nights around campfires with family and friends. I spent every summer there growing up, and it still brings fond memories of sunshine and laughter and the sound of motorboats on the lake. But the winters were different. The people that didn't live there all year would venture back home to the city life, leaving the area mostly deserted, with cottages boarded up for the winter. There were a few people that still frequently would come up every couple of months for a few days or so, but for the most part the lake was silent during the winters and the town was just filled with locals. The beautiful pine trees are always covered with snow, making the forest quiet. Our cottage was on a dead-end road. There were about twenty other cottages on the road, with ours being somewhat in the middle. The cottages were quite spaced out, however, with our closest neighbors being too far away to see through the trees. 
My dad had needed to head up to the cottage to do some painting that my mom had been bugging him to do. It was at the end of February, and it was a long weekend so I tagged along so he wouldn't be alone and we could spend some quality time together. It was about a five-hour drive from our home, but turned out to be an eight-hour drive due to the heavy snow. It had gotten dark out quite early, and it was around midnight as we drove through Algonquin Park. It was deadly quiet and pitch black, except for the headlights of the car. We finally passed through the park, with only about 30 minutes left to get to the cottage. It had stopped snowing, and we were both eager to get there. As we turned onto the familiar road, I remember my dad cursing. It hadn't been plowed yet. This wasn't surprising, however. It probably wouldn't be until later the next day that we would even see a snow plow. As we drove down the road, I noticed there was a fresh set of tire tracks. The Smiths must be up for the weekend, my dad had said. All of a sudden, as we drove around the bend, following the tire tracks, the headlights of the car shone on a white van that was parked on the side of the road. It was almost hidden by the vast trees that were covered with snow. What the... My dad mumbled. As we drove past the white van, I remember looking back through the back window and very clearly seeing two figures in the front seat illuminated by our retreating tail lights. I told my dad this, and he shrugged. Maybe they're lost. I nodded but couldn't help to think about how it was a dead-end road and why they would feel the need to park there. As we pulled into our driveway and we started bringing our stuff in, I couldn't shake the feeling that something wasn't right. I couldn't stop thinking about that van and why it was there, with two people just sitting in the dark in the middle of the night. It spooked me so much that I begged my dad to let me sleep upstairs with him, instead of sleeping downstairs in the room my sister and I usually shared. It had big windows with no blinds that looked out into the blackness of the forest, and my fifteen-year-old self was already scared of the dark even without seeing the white van. It wasn't a big deal when my sister was there, but not tonight. As my dad got ready for bed, I sat in the living room reading a book. My dad had turned all the lights off, and I was just using a small lamp next to the couch to try and get through one last chapter before bed. It was so quiet I could almost hear my ears ringing. I also started to get the feeling that I was being watched. The living room had large windows also with no curtains that overlooked the lake, and it was black except for a light or two from cottages across the lake. I shut off the lamp and got up. Now that the cottage was dark, the moon was shining brightly, illuminating the snow. It was beautiful, and I walked towards the window to get a better look. Movement caught my eye, and I remember my heart dropping as I saw two figures down by the back porch, below the window, barely hidden by the surrounding trees. I dropped to the floor and crawled towards the bedroom where my dad was sleeping, my heart in my throat. I wasn't sure if they had seen me or not. I woke my dad up, and by the time he got to the window, the two figures were gone. Where I had seen the figures, two sets of footprints in the snow lead back around to the front of the cottage and back down the driveway. I begged my dad not to go outside. He double-checked the locks and turned on the porch lights, hopefully to scare anyone off. My dad wasn't as freaked out as I was, 
but still set the alarm before he headed back to bed. I remember being very freaked out, and I lay there all night next to my dad, terrified I'd look out the window and see someone staring back at me. The next morning my dad went outside and confirmed that there were two sets of footprints leading from the road to in behind our cottage, and then back around to the front of the cottage and back up to the road. There were tire marks that showed the vehicle had turned around and then gone back up to the main road. My dad guessed that they were probably looking to break in and steal stuff as it was the middle of winter and not too many people were up at the lake. But they knew we were there. They would have seen our tire tracks leading to our cottage and my dad's car parked out front. They also may have seen the lamp I had turned on to read and or seeing it go off. My dad didn't have an answer to that and after much back and forth, he called the non-emergency line and reported it. Apparently, there had been some break-ins in the area, and some stuff had been stolen from some cottages that were boarded up for the winter. But again, and I still wonder to this day, why would they be interested in stealing from a house that clearly has people inside it? I'd wanted to be a police officer ever since I was just a little boy. I have dressed up for one every single Halloween that I can remember. There simply wasn't any other job that I ever had an interest in. This is probably due to the fact that my own father was a more well-known officer in the LAPD and my role model for everything in my life. As soon as I completed high school, I immediately tried to get enrolled in the police academy, got accepted, and began my training. Recently, I just celebrated 10 years since getting my gun and badge. I've loved every minute of the job. Thanks to my father, I've met all kinds of twisted and dangerous deranged people though. But I've never felt scared. Every encounter with them just made my desire to protect and serve stronger. That's why the only time I've ever actually felt fear was when I was confronted with something non-human. It's something I still can't explain today. It happened sometime in August. Me and my partner were in our car, and we got a call over the radio from an address not far from us. A man calling 911 claimed there was an intruder in his house. We rushed to the address as fast as possible and got to the front door. There was no sign of a forced entry, but the door was unlocked, so we very slowly went inside and began scouting the house. After a couple of minutes, there was only one room left that we did not clear, and the door was locked. And we stated that we were the police, and the owner of the house opened the door, coming out of the bathroom with a knife in his hands. As soon as he saw us, he looked relieved and put down the weapon. He explained that he lives there alone, and he heard a door in the house open and close just before he fled, walking himself in the bathroom. There wasn't really much we could do to help. We looked around for any shoe prints or tracks or fingerprints, but nothing. There was no sign of anybody coming in. We advised him to lock the door and call us again if anything happened or if he saw anything. We were going to head back. That same night, the dispatcher got a call from the same address and again, it was the same man claiming somebody is inside the house trying to break in the bathroom door. He truly sounded sincere and looked worried. This time, the front door was locked, and we had to break in. But after scouting the house again, 
we did not find anybody inside. Also, no signs of a forced entry either. When the man came out of the bathroom, he was pale and looked rather terrified. After we talked to him again, my partner and I went outside and discussed the situation in private. We were absolutely sure nobody else could have been in the house. But we also agreed he doesn't look like he is making things up or crazy or delusional. He was your average 40-year-old man. We concluded that he might be delusional though, so we decided to go through his medical records to see if we can dig up anything in his past. Perhaps there was a possibility of mental illness. We did not learn anything that would support this idea. But we did find something very strange. This man in the past had reported his wife missing about a week earlier. Police still had not found her. I asked around a little bit. I could not find much. Something was off about all of it. I could not sleep that night thinking about everything. We had checked multiple records and after time, discovered that he didn't try to contact the police or anything about his wife since the day he had reported her missing. He was becoming more and more suspicious. So one evening, I decided to stake out at his house to see if I can find out anything. I parked my personal vehicle nearby and waited. Around midnight, the police got a call again. It was from the same man claiming somebody was inside. I've been outside his house now for the last couple of hours and was definitely sure nobody got in or out. A little bit after the call, I could see a silhouette walking around the house. I contacted the dispatcher. He told them he was hiding in the bathroom. I was completely puzzled and clueless about what is happening, so I decided to go inside alone instead of waiting for backup. I was certain somebody was going to walk in the house. I picked a lock and slowly made my way inside, sneaking around. I could hear somebody banging on the door of the bathroom. When I got closer, nobody was there, and the only sound was the man crying in the bathroom. I managed to get him to come out and sat down to talk to him. I assured him that I believe that something is going on, confronting him about his missing wife. As soon as I mentioned her, his expression and demeanor changed completely. He didn't look sad, just some sort of worried, and said that she had been gone now for a while. He didn't get any news or updates from the police. Something was off about the entire situation, but I could not put my finger on it, not yet. We had finished the conversation. I told him I will come back again to ask some more questions and began to leave the house. He remained sitting on the sofa. I was almost out the front door when I heard steps behind me. I thought he was following me, but when I turned around, he wasn't there. Instead, I saw a figure in a white dress approaching him. I pulled out my gun and slowly pointed it at the figure. When the man noticed the silhouette as well, he let out a horrifying scream. At first, after the scream, I could hear him mumbling something about being impossible, and I heard him apologize. He was screaming that he is sorry. I was completely puzzled. Then things became even more strange and unexplainable. The figure in the white dress grabbed the man by his neck and began choking him. I began to yell, commanding it to stop, but it did not listen. I took a shot aiming at the shoulder, but the bullet passed right through it. And now I'm scared and confused. So I mindlessly fire three more rounds 
and all of them ended up going straight through. I charged with my body to grab the person or thing and went through it as well, hitting into the wall. My mind could not comprehend what had happened. I looked up. The figure was clearly a woman. Her face was expressionless, and she did not speak. She stood there choking the man before my very eyes. I could not do anything. I called for backup on my radio, but pretty soon the man on the sofa had collapsed. The woman in the white dress released his body and began walking away towards the yard. I stood up, checked the man's pulse. He wasn't breathing. He was dead. So I decided to follow the woman. She walked away slowly without making a sound toward the tree in the garden and then finally vanishing. When I got to the tree, I saw the dirt under it that it was different than the rest of the garden. I began digging with my bare hands. After a little while, the stench. I began digging even faster and discovered a body, rather a head to be more precise. The skin was already decomposing, and half the flesh was devoured. When the paramedics arrived, they examined the man and could see my pile of vomit right next to it. After I'd found it, the reason of death was concluded to be asphyxiation, but there were no visible marks that would indicate somebody had strangled him. The only thing paramedics could conclude is that he had stopped breathing. But I know what happened. I don't know how it's possible, but I am certain that the ghost of his dead wife I sound so ridiculous even typing this out, but the ghost of his dead wife that was buried in the yard came back and had its revenge. For the rest of the police and doctors, this man's death will stay a mystery. I will not say what I saw. I would have my badge revoked and be sent off to the loony bin. Nobody would believe me. But after this, I believe that paranormal and ghosts are very, very real. I had just enlisted in the Forest Service in 26 and was working in the Algonquin Park for the summertime. I never understood why they paid me as little as they did for all the things I had to deal with. To give you some more context, the Algonquin Park is this massive wildlife preserve full of moose, black bears, elk, etc. And this is why it makes it such an excellent tourist trap. We're always finding weird things too, like tracks and scat, which is pretty normal, but not when you find human-looking scat and four times the size. That's when things begin to get very unnerving. In fact, I had several people on a trail, a very popular trail, which name and route I won't mention, but they had reported seeing very large piles of human scat along the side. After being disgusted, thinking somebody could not wait to find the bathroom, or was just simply going in the great outdoors far too close to a road that people travel after inspection, this was far larger than any human could produce. Also, around the scat pile were these massive footprints that were evidently from a bipedal being. Nearby these prints are large blackberry bushes, meaning that whatever was around here was probably eating berries and doing its business. I never thought Bigfoot was a possibility, but the more and more I see this kind of stuff, the more evidence I'm exposed to, the more I'm becoming a believer, I should say. The Alaskan wilderness has a way of swallowing you whole, embracing you in its icy grip and challenging your very existence. 
It's a place where only the strongest survive, where solitude becomes your closest companion. I'm Jack Turner, a rugged individualist who has carved out a life of seclusion in a rustic cabin nestled deep within this unforgiving landscape. My days are defined by the rhythm of self-sufficiency. Chopping wood becomes a meditation, each swing of the axe a reminder of my resilience. Hunting provides sustenance, a reminder that I am a part of this wild world, and the tranquility that only isolation can offer becomes my solace, my refuge from a world that seems to grow more chaotic with each passing day. As the days grow shorter and the winter months stretch on, the snow-covered landscape closes in around me. The howling wind becomes a haunting symphony, and the dance of snowflakes outside my window is both mesmerizing and isolating. I find comfort in the routine and the simple acts that tether me to reality. But one evening, as the wind's howl grew louder and the snowflakes danced with newfound intensity, something shifted. I peered through the frosty window of my cabin and caught a glimpse of movement among the trees. At first, I dismissed it as a trick of my imagination, an illusion conjured by the isolation and the long hours spent in the quiet wilderness. Yet, as the days passed, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched. Glimpses of the same dark, hulking shape appeared on the periphery of my vision, always just out of reach. It was a presence that seemed to defy explanation, a feeling that crawled beneath my skin and nestled in the pit of my stomach. I hesitated to share my experiences with the outside world. Who would believe me, a lone man living in the heart of the wilderness? But I couldn't ignore the unsettling truth any longer. I began journaling my encounters, documenting every detail, every chilling observation. My descriptions painted a vivid picture a towering figure covered in matted fur, eyes that gleamed with an otherworldly intelligence, and a presence that sent shivers down my spine. As the creature's appearances grew more frequent, my skepticism wavered. My rational mind clashed with the inexplicable reality I was facing. The isolation that had once brought me solace now deepened my uncertainty. I questioned the very foundation of my reality, grappling with the idea that there was more to this world than met the eye. Desperation drove me to seek answers in the stories of native Alaskan legends. Tales of similar creatures that inhabited the wilds echoed in the back of my mind, offering a sliver of validation for the inexplicable horrors I had witnessed. A turning point came during a stormy night when the wind howled like a banshee and the snow swirled in a frenzy. With a heart pounding in my chest, I mustered the courage to confront the creature that had haunted my every waking moment. Armed with a flashlight and a camera, I ventured into the blizzard, determined to capture evidence of the elusive being that had invaded my world. And there, at the edge of the clearing, my flashlight's beam illuminated an imposing figure. Its features were obscured by the swirling snow, yet I felt its presence reverberate through my very being. In those fleeting moments as I snapped photos in the blinding storm, I knew that what I had witnessed defied all logic. In the aftermath, I shared my story with a trusted friend and a researcher who treated my experiences with raw honesty. Despite my initial hesitation, I knew I had to speak my truth. With conviction, I declared, Bigfoot is real, and I wouldn't lie about it. 
My account ignited a blend of fascination and skepticism among those who heard my tale, blurring the line between reality and the unexplainable. As I look out at the snow-covered expanse that surrounds my cabin, I am reminded that some mysteries are destined to remain hidden in the heart of the wilderness. The world may doubt my story, but I carry with me the knowledge that I have stared into the abyss and witnessed something that transcends understanding. The Alaskan wilderness is a place of wonder and terror, a realm where the line between reality and myth blurs, and the truth is as elusive as the creatures that roam its depths. Growing up, I remember my father telling me stories about his days as a logger. He was a strong, hard-working man, and he loved his job. But there was one story he would tell that always left me with a sense of unease, a story about a strange encounter he had in the woods. It was late autumn, and the logging season was coming to a close. My father and his crew were working hard to finish up their last few jobs before the winter snows arrived. One evening, as the sun dipped below the horizon, my father decided to head back to camp early to prepare dinner for the crew. As he drove along the winding forest road, he suddenly spotted a large, hairy man dart out of the woods and across the road just a few feet in front of his truck. My father slammed on the brakes, his heart racing in his chest as he tried to make sense of what he had just seen. The creature was massive, covered in thick, matted hair and running on two legs like a human, but with a speed and agility that seemed almost unnatural. As quickly as it had appeared, the creature vanished into the woods on the other side of the road. My father sat in his truck, his hands gripping the steering wheel tightly as he tried to process what he had just witnessed. He knew he couldn't keep this to himself, so he drove back to the logging site and told his fellow lumberjacks what had happened. To his surprise, many of them believed his story. They had heard whispers of strange creatures living in the woods, creatures that were not quite human, but not quite animal either. Together, they decided to form a search party and see if they could find any trace of the creature my father had encountered. Armed with flashlights and a sense of determination, they set off into the woods, following the path the creature had taken as it crossed the road. They searched for hours, their flashlights casting eerie shadows among the trees, but they found no sign of the creature. As the night wore on and the temperature dropped, they eventually decided to abandon their search and return to camp. My father couldn't shake the feeling that the creature was still out there, watching them from the shadows, but he knew there was little they could do to find it. The story of my father's encounter with the strange, Hairy man spread throughout the logging community, and while some dismissed it as a tall tale or a trick of the light, others believed it to be true. My father never saw the creature again, but the memory of that night stayed with him for the rest of his life. As I grew older, I found myself wondering about the mysterious creature that had crossed my father's path all those years ago. Was it a figment of his imagination, or could it have been something more? I suppose I'll never know the truth, but the story remains a haunting reminder of the mysteries that still lurk within the depths of the forest. My brother is two years older, and we've probably spent 10,000 hours and then some in the woods together. 
Whether it was building Fort's BMX tracks to LARPing and hunting, we've traveled across the U.S. exploring caves, canyons, cliff diving, mountain biking, camping, hunting white-tail mule deer, wild boar, etc. since 2016 when we get the time off. I feel like adding this is important because there's genuinely nothing I wouldn't do or fear when I have him by my side, but this time was different, and we both felt it. We've had our fair share of adventures and stories to tell of all sorts, but this one has felt like a lingering stain on my memory. We were both mid-twenties-ish, and it was 2019, and this was probably my fifth time hunting the area and the first I brought my brother along. It's a large forest area of public land that has a few county roads which are basically two tracks that stretch miles throughout the area. We make the trip up in my truck with our tents, three in total, one for each of us and another to change in and keep our gear in. Without making this long-winded, we set up camp a couple miles from the truck, which we drove for quite a few miles through the trails. Basically middle of nowhere, nearest main road is probably 8-10 miles away. We arrived late in the night, set up camp and quickly fell asleep after a long trip. We then spent the next day scouting tracking then made back to camp for the night. We cooked then ate, had some beers and bullshitted. The night was still early, but we had a long day and decided to head off for the night. Everything up until this point was normal. I was suddenly awoke to something smacking my tent and hearing my brother's voice call my name. I knew something was off. I called back to him and he immediately unzipped my tent and made his way inside. I could tell he was disturbed when I went to ask him what's wrong and he immediately grabbed my shoulder and told me to shush. The sun wasn't up yet so I think it was around 4.35ish am. We sat in my tent and what we heard still confuses me to this day. I can only explain it as whale sounds different tones of extremely loud noise that I could feel throughout my body. It would come and go, but there would only be a few seconds of silence in between the sounds. It would vary from high-pitched squeals and everything in between to very low sounds that had literal ground-shaking reverb. I regrettably didn't think to grab my phone or record anything that was going on, because what I was hearing didn't seem real, and in the moment I was awestruck. The sound went on until daylight started to break. I believe it was about an hour, but I'm not really sure. Neither of us spoke, and at the time it felt like I could feel the energy around me almost like my body was covered in white noise, if that makes any sense. It wasn't even minutes after the sound stopped it started to rain, and one of the craziest thunderstorms while I was camping happened. The forecast didn't predict or account for any rain the days we were going to be there prior to making the trip. All the stakes for the tent our gear was in completely ripped out of the ground and both of our tents had multiple stakes ripped out as well. Those things were drove into the ground with an axe and would take some insane force to unearth even a single one. My brother dismisses it and won't even talk about it saying it was just machinery being dragged but at the time we both shared the same feeling of fear and dread. Just seems odd it was still the middle of the night, and we were so far removed from any nearby community's industry to hear and experience this occurrence. A 27 female live in a small town in North Italy. 
a valley between our typical old mountains round shapes, covered in forest, not high, so just behind my home lots of hikes start. I always lived here and I like mountains, plus I'm getting in shape so the terrain is ideal, especially because I'm really familiar with it. So, last summer I was walking my usual route when I thought I could try to have a short hike before sunset, and took a route. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Italian ground, but there aren't the big spaces and long distances typically of US I imagine. Picture the average small town of 2500 people, starting from bottom in a two-hour hike here on top of the mountain, and the route I took was about 30 minutes to arrive halfway the mountain to a big Christian cross and a nice view. I was with my dog, a well-trained Spitz, a nice company with good instincts that I trust. He's a working dog more than a pet, despite his size. So we took the path and start making our way up, nice and relaxed, but active as we didn't have too much light time left. I just figured that if light went low, I'd just turn around and head home, no chances of getting lost. Woods immediately engulf us, pretty dense, but it's the norm. Not even 15 minutes of walking, and I'm paralyzed with this overwhelming sense of dread. The woods are completely silent. My skin crawls up just thinking about it. Even my dog stops, anxious. I just couldn't understand what was scaring me so much in the sudden silence. I couldn't move a muscle. I've read The Gift of Fear and the only time I didn't listen to my guts I lost my spleen in an accident, so wide-eyed and hyper-alert I forced myself to move and noped out of there. It was like my brain was screaming, if you stay here you'll die. Walking back, I couldn't stop the urge to continuously look behind me. At some point I was practically running, and I kept thinking that if I sprained an ankle there I would die. The dog seemed relieved when we had turned back, and he kept looking behind too. When we finally made it out of the woods and back on the road, I felt a wave of relief and ran all the way back home for the adrenaline I had. To this day, I don't know what happened and I haven't gone back. We were just doing our usual training exercise. I'm Sergeant Thompson, part of a National Guard unit running routine maneuvers in a heavily forested area near a small, secluded town. We were only supposed to be there for a few days, but those few days turned into something I'll never forget. Our first clue something was off was when we found the bodies. They were mauled, torn apart in ways that no normal animal could manage. The townsfolk were terrified, and we quickly found ourselves taking on a role we'd never anticipated protectors against something far from routine. The local sheriff told us about the legends, about creatures that roamed the woods when the moon was full. Werewolves, he said, half joking, half believing. We laughed it off at first. But then, as night fell and the full moon rose, we heard the howls. They were unlike anything I'd ever heard, a chilling mix of man and beast, echoing through the quiet forest. Our laughter quickly faded. Suddenly, the legends didn't seem so funny. We rallied our unit, prepping our military equipment. We were soldiers, trained to handle any threat, even if that threat was straight out of a horror movie. The townsfolk were counting on us, and we weren't about to let them down. The werewolves came as the night deepened. 
They were swift and brutal, their movements almost a blur under the silver moonlight. Their howls filled the air, their eyes glowed in the darkness. They were terrifying, but we stood our ground. We fought with everything we had. Our bullets seemed to only slow them down, but we kept firing, kept fighting. We used our military training to strategize, to coordinate our attacks. We set traps, created choke points, and used the town's layout to our advantage. The battle was fierce, and we lost some good men and women that night. But we also saved lives. We protected the town's residents, helped them survive the night. And as dawn approached, the howls faded and the werewolves retreated. We were left standing amidst the quiet town, the full moon setting, and the first rays of sunlight peeking over the horizon. We were bruised and battered, but we were victorious. We'd protected the town, neutralized the threat. The following days were a blur of reports and debriefings. Our superiors were skeptical, but the evidence was undeniable. We were hailed as heroes by the town's folk, their gratitude evident in their tear-streaked faces. That training mission turned into something none of us could have ever predicted. It changed us, made us realize just how unpredictable our world could be. We faced down werewolves under a full moon, and we lived to tell the tale. And now, every time the moon is full, I can't help but listen for the howls. There's a certain charm to living in the desert boonies, a charm that's often lost on those who've never experienced the vast emptiness, the silence, and the solitude it offers. My girlfriend lived out there, in a small house surrounded by an endless expanse of sand and shrubs. I'd often spend nights with her, enjoying the peace that the desert night brought. But there was a catch to living in such seclusion. Her house was near a state penitentiary, a place notorious for its frequent escapees. This was back in the day, long before cell phones and digital alerts became commonplace. So the only way the authorities would inform us about a prison break was through police helicopters flying overhead, blaring messages from megaphones. I remember one night distinctly. The desert was quiet, the sky was clear, and we had just drifted off to sleep when we were abruptly awakened by a deafening roar. A police helicopter was flying over our house, its searchlight piercing through the darkness, and a voice was screaming at us from the sky. Attention! Attention! An inmate has escaped from the state penitentiary. Please stay indoors and make sure all your doors and windows are locked. In the silence of the desert night, the sound was jarring, even terrifying. We bolted out of bed, hearts pounding in our chests, and ran around the house, checking all the locks and windows, ensuring they were secure. The helicopter continued its rounds, the voice echoed in the desert, repeating its warning. We huddled together in the living room, waiting for the commotion to die down, waiting for the silence to return. Those were good times in their own strange way. They were times that tested our courage, times that broke the monotony of our desert life, times that brought us closer together. We were never in any real danger, but the adrenaline, the fear, the excitement they all made our life out there in the desert boonies a little more thrilling, a little more adventurous. And looking back, I wouldn't have had it any other way.
1999, I was seven years old, playing in the woods with my friend Charlotte. We were standing at each end of a big log in the woods when I noticed movement in my peripherals. I tried focusing my periphery to catch a detailed look I see similar movement often when we're in the woods, and always disappears more like scatters before I turn to look. My heart skipped a beat when I could make out a group of little people looking up at me as well. I was frozen in the pose I was playing in. After a few seconds I realized Charlotte had stopped narrating out play and was frozen in place as well, staring at me but focusing on them. I'm pretty sure they were dressed because it didn't look like they were all naked. I could tell they knew we were aware of them, and they dispersed as Charlotte moved her eyes. We didn't talk about it until we were in her house. We weren't afraid, just confused on our walk home. We wrote out what we saw before talking about it, to see if we saw the same thing. Unfortunately, both our descriptions were so vague, but clothed, less than a foot for sure. One thing we were positive of was to mind our business and to not go searching, which is what our instinct would have usually been. Duh, we thought we found a colony of little people in the woods. But the fact that our reaction was to quietly leave and not even talk about it until behind closed doors and still not even talk out loud but write it. I don't remember being too frightened. In fact, we kind of just accepted it and moved on with a new taste of what this world universe is capable of. I watched the Indian in the cupboard later in life which reminded me of these little people, but I no longer saw them by then. Charlotte and I would talk about seeing things out of the corner of our eyes, but could never figure out what it was. Although Charlotte was different, her and her dad were huge hippies tire swing in the kitchen, no TV, and her imagination was so wildly magnificent that it made my mind radiate. I always thought that maybe her narration of our play was so powerful and energetic that we could manifest and see the same thing. Little people were never playing any parts in either of our imaginations, in fact, when we both confirmed what each other saw, we were kind of in awe that we've never even dreamt of tiny people on this universe. My ex-boyfriend was Navajo and he used to share countless stories from his culture and his childhood with me. One in particular still sends shivers down my spine. When he was a kid, he and his sister loved to play in the dense woodland that bordered their house. They were inseparable, always lost in some grand adventure, a world of their own making. But one day, something strange happened that abruptly ended their woodland escapades. They were deep in their usual game when an eerie feeling washed over them. The woods, usually teeming with sounds of life, fell eerily silent. It was as if the forest itself was holding its breath. Something felt off, but they couldn't quite put their fingers on it. Rattled, they decided to cut their playtime short and rushed home. Their concern was evident, and it didn't go unnoticed by their parents who decided to seek the counsel of a respected medicine man in their community. The medicine man listened to their story, his face growing more serious as they explained what had happened. When they finished, he nodded sagely and told them, Little people have been watching you as you played. The woods are their home, and you have intruded on their space. It's best not to play over there anymore. 
The term he used to describe these beings was something like Digini men, a phrase that always seemed to catch in my ex's throat as he said it, his eyes filled with a memory of that day. I've tried to find more information about these Digini men, but my efforts have proved fruitless. Still, the story has stayed with me, a reminder of the unseen world that could very well exist just beyond our perception, right there in the untouched corners of the forest. When I was a teenager around 2004, we used to sneak down through a quiet area of scrub over the dunes onto the beach to smoke weed. I lived in a very small, coastal town on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Typical wildlife was possums, wallabies, and maybe the occasional kangaroo. Definitely no dingoes, crocs, or other apex predators around. One night as we quietly made our way down the path, we noticed a shuffling, rustling sound in the undergrowth near the path. We stopped moving, and the sound seemed to stop as well. There was absolutely zero light, except from some houses in the distance and the moon. After a brief pause, we decided to keep moving. We heard the rustling sound again, and this time noticed some bushes moving. We stopped and my friend whispered, Holy shit, did anyone else see the trees move? I whispered back. I only saw the bushes move. We stood there frozen for a few beats in my head. I was weighing up the option to either continue on the path or leg it back home. We took a few more steps forward when we heard the sound like leaves crunching underfoot. At this point, I reached out and grabbed my friend's hand, thinking maybe we were being followed by someone. It was right then I noticed I could smell something awful. What the F is that smell? My mate whispered. His voice came out so small it frightened me even more. We stood there for so long, but probably only a minute or two until we heard a low groan growl sound coming from a few meters away. Now brushtail possums are quite common to the area, and are known to make a kind of grunting coughing sound, but they are from the ones I've ever heard, distinctly higher pitched and more chirpy sounding than what we heard. This was a low and more sonorous sound, kind of like er, with some strange catching tish sounds at the end. Needless to say, we wordlessly booked it straight back up the path the way we came. It sounded to me like a huge commotion of leaves crunching and branches shaking and crashing behind us as we ran, but reflecting on it with my adult hindsight, it definitely could have been us making all that noise. We never went back to that spot again, and would bring it up from time to time, trying to speculate what could have followed us that night. Our best theories were that it was just a bloody big possum or a person trying to scare us. The biggest issues we would argue over was why would a possum follow us, let alone down on the ground, although my mate says he saw the tree branches move as well, and if it was a person, how did they make that sound, and what was the smell, and why didn't we hear any footfall? Maybe it was just a coincidence of events. A person following us, a nearby possum growling, and a nearby dead animal stink wafting over at just the right moment. It still makes me shiver to think about it now. Six years ago, when I was only twelve, an experience shook me to my core. I just returned home from school and was enjoying my lunch in front of the TV. 
Both my parents were out, and my grandmother was fast asleep in her room. As I sat there engrossed in my favorite cartoon, something in the room adjacent to the TV caught my attention from the corner of my eye. At first, I tried to dismiss it as my imagination, keeping my focus glued to the screen. But soon, I felt a movement in that room. When I turned my head, my heart nearly leapt out of my chest. I saw the teeth of a person, wide open in a terrifying grin. It was a woman, or at least that's what it looked like. A black figure, smiling at me. My heart pounded in my chest, and for a moment I was paralyzed by fear. I stared at her for what felt like an eternity, but was probably only five seconds. Then she started moving towards me. That was my breaking point. Fight or flight kicked in, and I bolted towards the room, slammed the door shut, and dashed out into the backyard. Outside, my breath came in ragged gasps. I kept glancing at the house, peering through every door and window, scared that the figure might follow me. It took me a good ten minutes to calm down. When I finally gathered the courage to go back inside, I found the door to the room still closed. I checked on my grandmother. She was still asleep, oblivious to the ordeal I'd just experienced. I wanted to wake her up, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. I returned to my spot in front of the TV, my gaze locked onto the screen but my mind elsewhere, grappling with the terror I'd just experienced. When my parents arrived home later, I finally felt a bit safer. I called up my friend and spilled out the entire incident to him. Surprisingly, as time passed, the incident faded from my memory. I never told my parents about it until a month ago when a scene from a horror movie brought the memory rushing back. They brushed it off as a dream since I'd kept it a secret for six years, but my friend remembered my frantic call that day. To this day, I don't know what I saw. Was it a spirit? A hallucination? I've tried to rationalize it, but the memory remains vivid and real. After that day, I never encountered anything similar again, except for a strange occurrence last week. But that's a story for another time.